Hello, everyone out there once again. Here we, here we are for another climate talk, this time on the water footprint and water usage in wines and vines. We have, as usual, an amazing panel today from different corners of the world and very respected producers in all its regions. Uh, but before we go on, and again, I will have to start by leaving our heartfelt support to all those in California that have somehow been affected by the wildfires and the glass fire that impacted the region recently. Also, I hope all of you uh, among uh, and some of our, of our guests as well that have just finished harvest season, that it was a wonderful one. And before I pass on to our host for today, let me, as usual, introduce you Port Protocol. We are a foundation that came out of two events that took place in Porto in 2018 and 2019, Climate Change Leadership Solutions for the Wine Industry. Today, we are a foundation with approximately 200 members. And what we're trying to build is something amazing, though it takes time. We are trying to build a network and a platform of climate solutions spread across the wine value chain. For this to happen, we need you on the other side of the screen and all these people on this table to share with us what you're doing. We need you to engage with us and to engage with each other in order to build this platform on collaborative sharing and on collective action. So you are a click, a click away from us. So we invite you to join us and get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear what you're doing in terms of climate action. So having said this, I'll pass on uh, to introducing our panel to you. I'll start with Linda. Linda Johnson-Bell is our host for today. Hello, Linda. Thank you very much for being here. I think the most important thing to say about Linda is, is that she's passionate about wine and water altogether. In fact, she has written a book about it called uh, Wine and Climate Change. Winemaking in the New World, if I'm not wrong. Yes, Linda. She's also the CEO and founder of the Institute, Oxford Institute for Wine and Climate Change uh, Institute. And she's a contributing author to the United Nations New Encyclopedia of Sustainable Development Goals. And then we have three different regions here represented. I'll start with my right, I'll start with the nearest one to me, which is Douro Valley very well represented by Tiago from Souza, an extremely well-respected producer in the wine. And he's here today as he's a practitioner of dry farming. And he'll, he'll be telling us about that, not defending it for sure, we know, but talking, it about, um, talking about these practices in his uh, winery and his, uh, as a viticulturist. Then we have France. He's all the way, he's coming all the way from South Africa, from Spear Wine Farm. And the most amazing thing that we've learned about um, Spear is that this holistic approach <coughs> to producing in a sustainable way goes way back. And then, as we know, South Africa has, has had water scarcity like probably no one else as it faced day zero a few days ago. Well, it didn't face, almost faced day zero, the day that no water would be coming out of its taps uh, a few uh, years ago. And we are eager to learn how Spear, not only since then, but way before that, started uh, managing its water in the most sustainable and efficient way. And then we have Alexandre from Casa Helvas, another very well-respected member from Alentejo, another very dry region. As we know, 
from where we stand, both Douro and Alentejo will, uh, are expected to be extremely affected with climate change in the middle to in the near future. And um, Alexandre at Casa Helvas is also doing groundbreaking work as they're recycling municipal waters, also helping uh, neighborhood villages, please correct me if I'm wrong, and doing it in partnership with uh, the local county and irrigating the vines with, these, with this water. I think I'm finished with my presentation. I hope I did all of you justice. And now I'll disappear for a while and I'll pass on the word to you, Linda, uh, hosting this topic, hosting this talk on such an important topic. Good luck and thank you again all for accepting our invitation to be here. See you in a little bit. Um, there we go. Thank you, Marta, and hello, everyone. Um, first of all, Franz, Alex, and Tiago, thank you for being here today and sharing with us your exceptional expertise on this very critical topic. Um, as we know, the water footprint um, of a product or a good or a service is the volume of water used to produce the product or the service, summed over the various steps of the production chain. And the water footprint includes the three components, rainwater, which is green water, fresh water withdrawn from groundwater, the surface water, which is called blue water, and gray water, which is used or recycled water. And the footprint refers specifically to the type of water used and where and when the water is used. Um, and again, I'm saying this for the benefit of our audience. In viticulture, we know that water is used in every process in wine production. And the regions where irrigation is legally practiced, this is the greatest use of water. France's National Institute for Agricultural Research reports that 83% of the surface under vine in the New World is irrigated as opposed to 10% in the Old World, or Europe, where irrigation is not always practiced and even still illegal in some regions. Although we are seeing a relaxation of the irrigation laws there due to their prolonged drought. With all the different practices and forms of irrigation varying from region to region and microclimate to microclimate, it is considered difficult to determine a wine's water footprint. But the Water Footprint Network states that on average, it takes 109 liters of water for a 125 milliliter glass of wine. And in drier countries, obviously, it's higher. Water's average, wine's average um, water footprint may not be enormous uh, compared to other crops, but it ranks as the most important fruit crop in the world in terms of production and economic importance. And when we remember that over 80% of the world's vineyards are irrigated, and that both the need for irrigation and planted acreage will increase, it is clear that water management has to be our most um, important conversation, and that we have tough decisions to take and tough conversations to have. With the already narrow geographic and climatic ranges of premium wine grapes now narrowing even further, do we have the right to decide who can grow wine and who cannot, where we grow wine, where we don't grow wine, and what about um, political ecology, who gets to decide who gets the water, um, or will Mother Nature and the Almighty Dollar decide that for us? Most importantly, how do we best assist and serve those men and women who are on the front line of climate change and who are dedicating their life's work to preserving wine, this unique and irreplaceable cultural tradition of winemaking? So, there we go, we'll start. <laughs> I've got, uh, we have five or six questions. And the first one I'd like to ask, and for all of you, but I'll just have you go in the order you're sitting in on my screen, Tiago, Franz, and Alex, is from your experience, where do the big water consumption numbers come from? Your winery or your vineyard? Tell us about what you're experiencing. Tiago. 
Uh, hello to everybody. So, uh, well, uh, being having all our vineyards under uh, dry farming, uh, of course, naturally, most of the, the, the water use uh, comes from, uh, from the winery. Um, we've uh, actually participated in, um, in a study a few years ago uh, where um, we were studying basically the, the water consumption in the winery um, to, 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 well, to, to, to know which would be the measures to, to be able to control it and also at what extent we were actually uh, using the water and how efficient it was. And actually, the, well, the, um, the conclusion was that, uh, well, in average, depending on the, on the, on the size of the winery, uh, it can go all the way from uh, one liter of water per, uh, per liter of wine produced, only in the winery, of course, uh, up to, uh, to, to, to three liters of water per liter of wine produced. Um, and especially in smaller wineries, uh, well, you could uh, see that most of the times water saving measures were not as effective as, uh, as in uh, other situations. So of course, that if we compare it with, uh, with uh, the water used uh, in the vineyards, especially for irrigation, it's, it's a different scale naturally. Uh, but even so, it's, it's very significant. So, uh, of course, that it's important to, to have measures to control it. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to do, uh, not only by uh, treating all the, 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 the wastewater from the, the, the winery naturally, uh, but also at the same time having measures to, uh, to, to, to save the water we use with uh, water-saving dispensers in every valve uh, and uh, a few other measures to, so that we can uh, control it. But it's always a significant... Um, a significant um, consumption. Fair enough. Franz, you have a slightly different scenario where you are down in South Africa. Tell us, tell us what you are experiencing. Yeah, South Africa, we have uh, about 15% uh, of our area is dryland vineyard, uh, one five. Um, uh, the rest is, is, is irrigated. Uh, um, our average so just on a, on a short answer, our water is used during irrigation uh, on the land. Um, we, the world average, if in a recent research is about uh, 870 cubic meters of water per, per ton. Um, that's a world figure. South Africa is about 600. If you if you take the dry land off on as a, as an average, um, uh, and uh, and at Spear we we are about eight of eight, eight of that, uh, so we're below 100 uh, cubic meters per uh, per ton. Um, uh, we also I think uh, over the over the past 15 years we sat down and. Um, we set ourselves some big goals, and one of them uh, in the Western Cape, where we are a Mediterranean climate, is is going to be water shortage. Uh, and what what are we going to do as a brand if we, if we want to exist in the next 40 years with increase in population in the Western Cape? Cape Town is a beautiful city. More and more people move from up country, uh, so there's a big demand for water. From a from a population uh, side, um, and, uh, and we are facing the last couple of last four or five years way below average rainfall to the 
the extent that we, we uh, 18 months ago, there was, uh, within weeks, there was, we called uh, the day, day zero when they, the water uh, sort of sort of dried up in the, the tap, if you can think about that, you know. So, but I think people are extremely adaptable and behavior change is probably the biggest thing that we've seen uh, from a from a Western Cape point of view, um, with once sixty uh, forty percent of of water were were reduced, or the, the consumption was reduced by by uh, by forty percent um, with water restrictions, um, behaviour change. And when I said to you this morning, if you look at the gardens. Uh, Five years ago, and you look at the gardens today, the people have changed the gardens to succulents, water-friendly water plants. Thing in a very short space have changed in the Western Cape. Will it be enough? Uh, is, uh, is, is to be seen, uh, but we take it extremely serious as PSO. In, uh, in uh, 2015, we've changed the winery. Uh, we were, as a winery, when we start measuring, do 3.8 liters water per winery because water was available and with behavior change and technology change, we average around 1.2, 1.4 liter um, of water for every liter of wine that we, that we send to bottling. Um, and uh, I don't think unless we do a full, full circle recycling where we can recycle the wastewater to the level where we can reuse it potable in the winery, we will be able to reduce that. Uh, or new technology must come across. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing for me was the, the impact that we had uh, by, by uh, showing people that work for us, uh, the workers, uh, everyone that works with Spear, if you use the amount of water, what the impact is and, and make it first visible you know we talk about that all the time so people on a daily basis can see how much water used in the winery um and then then behavior change devices instead of um washing the floor with water you you're sweeping the stuff together and then you clean properly and you know? it changes small thing but big number oh you're, it's interesting you're saying the silver lining in all of this has been an awareness a greater awareness and a shift in, in the mindset. That's that's no small feat. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alex, what are you experiencing? Where was your largest um, water consumption? So uh, there's a lot of things that have been told. First of all, thank you for the invitation. Hello to everybody. I think, firstly, we we cannot put the water uh, we use on the vine and the water we use on the winery we cannot compare it like water, you know, because the water used on the vineyards, it's used to produce fruit and sometimes to maximize some yields and keep the, the vines uh, doing the photosynthesis. So it will fix CO2 by the end, by the plants. In our case, and in Alentejo case, uh, the most of the consumption, it's of course on the vineyard, in a regular vintage, a regular vineyard, we use around um, 1,500 cubic meters to have a predominantly water potential of 0.305 MPAs or, or to, 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 to keep 
da, da Vine uh, in a, a, a good hydric stress. Um, but I think, and we began that last year, it's very, very important to analyze the ratio water used by kilo of grapes which are produced, like we are doing on the winery of liter of water by bottle produced. And uh, like that, we'll see at the end if we are going to make some improvements uh, or not. But answer to your question, of course, in our, in, at Casa Relvas and in Alentejo in general, it's on the vineyard where we, we use more water. But you, you seem, you, you very cleverly have established your own way of measuring your own water footprint and keeping track of that yourselves and with your own, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone did that. Um, you're all water management uh, pioneers and heroes in my eyes, uh, leading the industry through this very difficult time. Um, I'd like to ask, you've already answered the question a little bit, but go into a bit more depth as to how each one of your companies in particular are addressing uh, climate change and water availability. For example, Alex, I've got you here. Um, your municipal water treatment, for example, where you are um, recycling the village's water and using it for irrigation, that's revolutionary. Could you tell us some more about that? Yeah, of course. So trying to make it short, <laughs> which uh, sometimes is not easy. So sustainability was very present since the origin of Casa Relvas on the 90s. Uh, but until five years ago, it was more, more in an empirical way, if you want. And in 2005, the Alentejo region had something which I think is very special, which is the, the sustainability plan for the region, which is open to all the grape and vine growers on the region. This program have helped us a lot to introduce metrics and share sustain, sustainable ideas from our business and activities in between the producers. Being in Alentejo, which is an area where we have around 600 millimeters of rain per year, and since ever had problems of long periods of drought, one of our main focus, it was the water consumption on the winery. Firstly, in the, the first stage, we like, uh, like uh, Tiago and friends mentioned before, we, we put an objective to reduce the water used per bottle produced. And after one year, we had dropped for 3.5 liters of water to 1.5 liters. Wow. And like friends told before, with very, very, very small measures. A lot of people education showing the metrics to the people and uh, changing the, the diameter and adapting the hoses, very small things, uh, the, how to, to clean the, the soil, everything. And But even like that, uh, after uh, this decrease, we were still using 9 million of liters per year on the winery which is quite a lot. We produce 6 million bottles per year. And so we decided to invest in a new water treatment station. And during the project conception, we had several meetings with different engineers and different uh, companies and different associations. And we cross ourselves with waters from the center Alentejo, 
and uh, in the discussion, this new project was born. So this project, if you want, is Casa Helva had, had invested on uh, his own water uh, treatment station and had created infrastructures for a part of São Miguel de Machedo, which is a village where we are, uh, houses, which were not yet connected to the sphere. And uh, then this water treatment station of Casa Helvas turned into industrial waters, into domestic waters. All those waters together with the village, they are going to the water treatment station of the village, which is managed by waters from the center of Alentejo. And then Casa Helvas have established together with this association, a, a price to pay for each liter of water, which is recycled to irrigation. And that had allowed this uh, company to invest as well in the, on their station and, uh, and have water with a purified water to use in agriculture. Very good. All right. I, I think I was. Well, I, I could ask you a thousand questions on that alone. But I'm going to have. Um, friends, you um, were telling us a bit earlier about Day Zero in uh, Cape Town and the Cape, uh, out of the Cape. What I think might be interesting to learn more about are um, the government's uh, allocation measures, water allocation measures. Have they become more strict since Day Zero? Um, and do you think they're going to be more strict? Um, water allocations brought in in the future. What, 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 tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I think uh, uh, every every farm or producing unit unit um, had water allocation uh, uh, allocated them when they installed a, a big water supply from a from a, a dam in the Western Cape 30, 40 years ago. It's like a water right that you buy. Um, and there was an allocation per uh, at the time was calculated um, of about uh, 2,500 cubic meters of water per, per um, irrespective of what you grow, uh, okay. fruit or agricultural or, sector or, or anything. Um, uh, but back then. Uh, the population was uh, less than half of what it is now. So, um, so over the years, uh, if you don't use your, your allocation, uh, they've sort of reduced it and people sold water rights uh, when there was scarce, uh, scarcity. But we've decided 13 years ago that if we want to be sustainable, uh, there will become a point where they, they will start using this water or it become very expensive or they will cut it to, to continue supply um, developments that's happening. So um, um, we built a, a very similar recycle plant, but on, on the farm. Uh, we produce about 40,000 cubic meters of wastewater here um, from the, we have a big resort, a hotel or a uh, and uh, so all the gray water, black water goes to the to the plant, and then the winery wastewater goes to a, a separate uh, unit 
adjust the pH and then also into the plant. And then from there through a, a water bed or wet, a wetland where we uh, reduce the, uh, after the aerobic uh, reactors, it goes through the wetland and then the water uh, that come out of the back of that is, is enough. Uh, according to water affairs standard to put back in the river if you so want to. Um, but we, we, it goes into a big holding dam and from there we redistribute it back into the, into the fields for irrigation. Um, and some of it goes back to the, to the resort side where they, all the toilets are, are flushed with recycled water. So we recycle and reuse every liter of wastewater coming off the, off the, the farm of the estate. Um, but saying that uh, we're still not water positive in the sense that we're completely um, sustainable without any sources from outside. So, um, sounds like you're getting there. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, I think the first step for us was to, to, to calculate and then maximize some uh, reuse. Um, where we now is uh, is to see how can we improve soil fertility and how can we work different in a in a in a, in a vineyard in the soil in the in the resort to even optimize what we already have um, and 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 maybe in future increase our holding them so that when when it rains in winter when you and one is much lower and the resort is much lower that we can store more water. Um, so these are things that we now look at. Um, but for sure, uh, the last five years, since 2015, we had 30% uh, less water every year, uh, rain uh, in the in region. And it sort of built up to 2018, where we almost had no water. Uh, so uh, it's a real, real risk in, in agriculture, and we and we take it quite serious. Mm. Sounds like you. It's a good strategy to try to go water positive and and get yourself not to be held hostage to uh, the public water supply. Sounds like a good plan. May, um, may I ask a question to friends? Please do. Friends. In. Uh, in, you know, in Europe, we have a lot of uh, paperwork to do everything. Uh, and we, we're facing a lot of, not problems, but uh, when we think, for example, in use the, the, the mute, uh, the mute for, from the water treatment system, system uh, to fertilization or to the license and the quantities of analysis we need to reintroduce the water on the, the, the nature, it has a big, big, big cost for us. How it works in South Africa? Um, Alex, we have the same. Uh, uh, we, we have uh, in our water treatment plant, we, um, we have uh, by law a report that uh, there's about uh, 15 uh, elements that needs to be adhered to, that needs to be inspected before you can 
reintroduce the water into uh, irrigation even. Um, so we, we measure these things uh, on a monthly basis. Um, at the end, at, just after the, the waste of the, the wetlands. And, uh, um, and from there it goes to a, a, a holding dam that holds enough water for the recycle water. Uh, and, and out of that we and out of that we irrigate. So um, uh, and uh, at the moment, uh, for ten months, eleven months of the year, we every time the water is good enough to put uh, when we measure, it's good enough to put back into by law into a river if you want to. Uh, and some some months just after harvest. Uh, uh, in, in, in April, March, April, when the COD counts are much high, we sometimes struggle with pH and stuff like that, you know. So we we we, we, uh, we built it a, last year another 50, 60,000 uh, uh, liter tank where we adjust the pH. And uh, what we find is that uh, when we do a pH adjustment, a pH adjustment, it actually takes much longer. So we need we need 12 hours or 18 hours for the pH to do a proper job before we can then put it back into the reactors. Otherwise, it kills the, the bacteria that, that does the job for us, you know, um, and get the odor and the smell. So um, it's the problem we have as well. Yeah, but but uh, to answer your question, we uh, the scarcity of water, water affairs is, is increasingly uh, cutting down on, on wineries and make sure that uh, the recycle plants at the end of the wineries are, are compliable to, to law. Um, when, when I started 25 years ago, it's be a, you irrigated the, the wastewater on a big grassland and an animal. So today it's not a, the case anymore. You need to do a lot of uh, work and soil analysis uh, uh, quite often um, on the, even where you irrigate on big open areas where we have, so, uh, we need to make sure that the quality of that water is 100% compliable. As for, the, as for the sludge that come out of the wastewater, we have a concrete holding tanks where we dried it. Um, and uh, and then we, we 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 make two sets of compost. One set of compost that will we use for the for the gardens, and one set of compost that we use back in the vineyards. Um, so we uh, and we only can only use organic matter that we use back in the in the vineyard. Organic waste, organic skins. Things of the of the farm alien trees, those sort of things we use for the compost that we use back in the, into the vineyards. Sounds like bureaucracy is an issue on both sides of the globe. Then, Tiago, <laughs> quickly, um, back to you. Could you tell us a bit about the practice of dry farming? Um, too often, it is simply explained as not irrigating, which we know is not at all the case. There's a bit more to it. Could you br briefly tell us? Um, about uh, your dry farming practice and then uh, what do you do in, in your winery? Uh, well, um, Doro has passed, uh, as, a, as a wine region, has passed through some, uh, well, different stages in its history. And, uh, well, 
uh, over this last, I would say, 30 years, uh, most of the, 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 well, the, the, the models and the adaptations that, that the region had in the, the region were all or almost all towards, uh, well, uh, being able to mechanize a little bit, uh, well, our work, of course, well, as you know, we work in the, well, the, all the vineyards are in the slopes, so, so it's, it's very labor intensive. So that was pretty much the, what was, uh, well, setting our, uh, well, viticultural uh, decisions uh, over these last 30 years, I would say. The thing is that, well, uh, after this 30 years of, uh, well, uh, testing different uh, systems uh, with different uh, densities of planting, for example, different training systems, uh, we've realized that many of these uh, changes uh, were actually not so well adapted to our uh, present climate conditions and also uh, weren't probably able to face the climatic challenges that, uh, that, uh, that we're facing today and that we expect to, find, to face uh, more and more over the, well, the, in, the, in this near future. Uh, so by comparing the different systems that we had, we, we got to the conclusion that actually, well, our, our ancestors so 100 years ago were, were pretty right already in terms of the model that, that was working the best. And it was dry farming indeed. Uh, but uh, not only dry farming, with the specific viticultural practices that really helped to make the, the, the vineyard the best adapt to dry conditions. Uh, and in this case, uh, what we have nowadays, uh, we call it our uh, new old vineyard uh, system, basically. Um, it's basically vineyards that have a very high density of planting. Uh, so we're talking about vineyards that reach 8,000 plants per, per, per hectare, so it's, it's, it's much denser than, it's one of the highest densities of planting in the world. Um, and the, the reason that this works uh, well in terms of making the, the, the vineyard the better adapt to, uh, to, 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 to water stress and to, to, to heat is basically because, well, as you have a, such a, a high density of planting, of course, that, uh, well, the, there will be a natural competition between plants for water, nutrients, and even physical space. So this means that the, the, you'll have always a very compact uh, grapevine, a very compact plant. Uh, and as you have less vegetation, uh, basically you're decreasing the, 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 the losses of water per transpiration of the plant. So you're already making it naturally, um, well, better adapt to, 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 to drought. Uh, and at the same time, as there's such a strong colonization of the soil, you're also well reducing the the well the the the, the radiation over the, the 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 soil. So you're also decreasing the losses of water per evaporation from the soil. So so you're cutting your evapotranspiration uh, losses in your vineyard significantly, significantly, basically. And uh, also, we've uh, recovered the, 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 the traditional training system, uh, which is a double goyot uh, instead of the, 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 the royal cordon, which also proved to be uh, also better adapted to uh, not only water stress, but to heat and radiation stress, as you have pretty much, well, especially the, the, well, the, the, the way that the vegetation develops uh, makes the... Um, the the, the 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 clusters to to be much more protected inside the 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 the, the, the vegetation so you avoid much more uh, sunburned sunburned uh, effects you're 
much more able to preserve also the, 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 the natural acidity, the natural variety of flavors in the berries. So basically you're again also adapting to, uh, to, to, to drought. So these are practices that again, we, 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 we were not inventing uh, anything. This comes pretty much from the observation of uh, the different practices that we already had in the Douro Valley throughout the years. And by comparing the different systems, we really realized that, uh, that uh, this kind of system uh, was uh, indeed uh, the, the, the one that was giving us the best uh, solutions for the, the present and future of, of, of our vineyards. Well, and that leads me to the next question beautifully. Um, I often hear from producers from our regions all over the world that they would like to dry farm and they know they, there are other people dry farming in the region and it is possible, but it's not economically viable. So when we're faced with the dilemma of ecological sustainability and economic sustainability, um, most producers understandably, you know, choose the, choose the latter. Um, they have to make a living and the lower yield from dry farming can sometimes make it impossible. And it's hard, I think, to stick to your, what, your organic practices or your dry farming practices when your neighbors are not. Um, so do you think there's any way that we can make dry farming economically sustainable? Is there, do you see a day where, and this is a question that you will, I'll ask you all, but do you see a day when it's sort of like the international default position and, and it allows, you know, kind of a good level playing field. So, so I, I know it's probably a pipe dream, but can we just can we kind of unravel that and discuss that a bit? You know, yeah, how, how can we make it so if you can dry farm, you should be able to dry farm? Well, that, that's a very good question, Linda, and, and, and it's true that, uh, well, uh, irrigation is a powerful tool. Uh, and uh, by this, well, uh, technically, I'm not against irrigation at all. Uh, I think that in a, well, in a, in a perfect world uh, where uh, everybody will be wealthy, everybody will uh, drink Dodo wines, uh, and uh, everybody will have a, a lot of water available, uh, well, that will be always, a, again, a powerful tool. Uh, but the thing is that we know that uh, we're facing, uh, well, it's a, it's a scarce resource uh, that we don't know how, how it's going to be in the future. And uh, science tells us that, that it, become, it may become even more scarce in the, um, in the future. So, uh, so, so we have to, to, to think about this. And it's true that in terms of uh, yields, uh, we cannot compare. It's true. It's, uh, we're talking about totally different levels. Uh, for example, in our case, we we're talking about uh, grams per vines. We're not talking about uh, kilos per vines. Of course, that uh, that uh, we 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 try to, to compensate that with uh, with the with the added value that we get in terms of uh, of uh, final quality. And again, it's true that uh, that uh, we can have also a quality approach when we're uh, irrigating. But, uh, but again, this, I think that more and more, it's not only a matter of, uh, well, irrigation being uh, technically, uh, well, good or not. Well, again, we, it's, 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 it depends on how you use it and it may be indeed, uh, well, a great tool. Uh, but uh, the thing is that, are we going to have water available or not? And, and for, because of that, uh, what we're trying to make is, again, our vineyards the most adapted possible to, 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 to dry conditions because we don't know how it's going to be in the future. And we know that when we uh, begin uh, irrigating a vineyard, uh, we're creating a, well, uh, almost an addiction. Uh, 
uh, all the, 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 the root development will be naturally more on the surface, even if we have, uh, well, uh, water deficit, deficit irrigation uh, strategies like uh, regulated deficit, deficit irrigation or uh, partial root zone drying, for example, we're still well giving water on the on the on the upper layer basically. So uh, so we're creating a, a, an habit to the plant that uh, if uh, at some point we have to close the valve and uh, that may happen because we we're, we're seeing in uh, in recent years that uh, that with a uh, uh, well very very dry years like 2017 for example uh, government started to apply. Uh, water uh, friction measures measures uh, basically if from one day to the other we cannot irrigate uh, well our vineyard probably won't be ready for that so so i think that that's why it's so important to 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 start preparing our vineyards it takes time of course it's uh, it's, it's it's a work in progress uh, but uh, i think that it's something that we have to to, to keep in mind so so that in the future if this happens. I hope not. I hope that uh, that uh, that uh, we're wrong, and that all the sciences are wrong. But if this happens, as it seems that it will be, we'll be ready for that. If you see, what would make dry farming not possible where you are? Will there be a day where the temperatures get so hot, and you know, even though your your root systems are down, you know, into the stable water, will, will there be a day where dry, even dry farming can't? Um, sustain a grapevine and if so what would you do would you diversify into a more uh, different crop or you know i know this is kind of a bleak question but i'm just you know what's the end game well there's 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 many uh theories and there there are many uh models some are very uh well uh very uh extreme that consider that well all our uh well the viticulture as we know uh, and uh and wine regions, as we know, uh, the, well, the, the the map will totally transform in these next uh, years with with climate change. I have to admit that I'm a little bit more uh, optimistic uh, because, well, I think that most of those models don't consider the the, the extraordinary ability that vines have to adapt to, uh, to 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 new conditions, and we see that on a daily basis. All the physiological uh, tools that the vine has to adapt in terms of uh, stomata control, uh, vegetation adaptation. Uh, so it's 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 amazing what vines can do to adapt. So I think that even so, uh, we're still a little bit far away from the, that extreme, and I hope that we'll uh, we'll keep like that. And I I hope that vines will still have this, this ability to 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 adapt. I don't know if we will, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but I I think that vines will 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 have indeed. And at the same time, we have to consider that there are things that uh, we've been also neglecting also uh, in this uh, in in the past. So uh, so all our uh, decisions in terms of uh, varieties, in terms of uh, uh, clones and and um, and uh, rootstocks. Uh, most of the times, were basically based on the on only on production uh, parameters, basically. And uh, and uh, over the years, I think that uh, unfortunately we lost a lot of um, genetic diversity that actually could help us a lot on the on on some of these uh, challenges that we're facing. So it's very very important to be able to identify genotypes uh, 
within the varieties that that uh, that that we have, and and for that, Portugal is maybe a wonderful source of uh, of genetic diversity for uh, for 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 many countries, uh, because not only we have well many indigenous grapes that do have some ability to adapt to uh, to, to to dry farming and to drought. And at the same time, within the varieties, we have still a very big uh, clonal diversity as well. So, so, so well, again, uh, to maneuver, you're saying, yeah, yeah, so lots of options. But, um, thank you, Franz and Alex. Um, if, if you, in a perfect world, if you didn't have to worry about paying the bills, would you choose to drive farm? Franz, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I can go, but I uh, maybe on. Uh, just to, to link on Tiago, um, I mean, we, South Africa 10, 15 years ago had 104,000 hectares of vineyard. Today we have 90,000 and, and it's going down. And we've lost a lot of dry land vineyards, uh, as, as we, everyone said, um, global warming is causing it. But um, I think uh, two things. Uh, uh, a lot of vineyards was planted in areas not really suitable for grapes, uh, which is, which naturally evolution sort of forced it to, to uproot the vineyards and use other agricultural practices. And, and then secondly, uh, 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 these old vines, and a lot of them are old dryland bush vines, um, are, uh, are now linked to, to brands that that the chief high prices that are sustainable at two or three tons or four tons to the hectare. Um, and uh, there's a big movement in the younger generation winemakers where there's small producing units, high, high price wines, where these vineyards are sort of uh, linked brand specific. And uh, most of them are now also farm in a far more sustainable, a greener way, you know, um, away from from uh, spraying everything with weed killer, but more integrated, more uh, biodiversity. Um, we are uh, uh, at Spear, we've, over the years, we've converted 10 years ago, the, uh, the Spear properties to, to organic and, and just within the organic production and uh, uh, the work that we've done, we increased the, the carbon content of the of the soil up to uh, 2.3 percent uh, uh, from from way below one, um, which in itself have a much more much better water retention um, capacity. So, I do think in a uh, in in an ideal world, uh, it's it's going to be very difficult to have only dryland vineyards because the the majority of wine is sold in retail in supermarkets. Uh, where price is most of the time the very important part and not so much the, the story about a brand, you know. Um, and, and I'm not knocking retailers, I'm just saying this is the world of wine. Uh, yeah. But if we can, in our way of producing grapes, can reduce our dependency on, on water, uh, and rightly so, say by Tiago, um, Everyone, for instance, want Cabernet and Chardonnay, but maybe Cabernet and Chardonnay is not suitable to be planted in the areas anymore. Let's plant Grenache and Grenache Blanc or something else and 
and change our portfolio of products that fits the climate. You know, we need to be much better now today in South Africa, which grape varieties work in what area. So we must be much more focused on that. Um, and then rootstock selections and, and all of these and high density planting. So there's a lot of new uh, innovative factors that can be done. And I'm, I'm very positive that we, will combat climate change with through through various things you know uh, uh, in the wine industry I, I think you're you touched upon something very interesting you just said that you know the consumer may not you may have to get used to different grape varieties etc and I, I once did a survey you know, if your Sancerre from France wasn't Sauvignon Blanc anymore and it was you know Marsan or something would, would you care and like 90 90% a didn't know that it was Sauvignon Blanc to start with and, and the rest didn't care as long as it was good, you know, whereas, you know, a winemaker in Sancerre thinks that if he or she has to change the grape variety, their life is over. But it's not. I think there's an enormous scope for adaptability, both in the vines and in the consumers. I, 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 think, I think you're right. Anyway. Alex? At the same time, Linda, I would like Sorry. to add also something, and I think that France brought a really good, uh, good, uh, well, good idea. For example, true that the, the, the market is, it may be a little bit, uh, cruel when it comes to pricing and when it comes to competition uh, on the shelf. Uh, but at the same time, I think we've seen over this last year's, uh, well, the movement with, uh, with organic wines, for example, uh, I think that we've all realized that actually the consumer was ready sometimes to, well, to, to, to spend a little bit more uh, knowing that uh, this wine or, or, or that specific food was coming from a, from a, Organic farming uh, was was actually uh, environmental friendly, and so I think that if we put water also in the equation, um, uh, well, the consumer will also understand, may also understand this, and uh, and uh, and and value this as well, because it's true that it's uh, well, it has a, a, a significant impact also. Alex, did you want to? I, I have uh, two, two, three points, depend a little bit, to your, this question. I, water is the, the subject today, and it's the subject of this conference, but uh, we cannot forget that sustainable farming is a lot more than only one consumption. And uh, I don't believe in a sustainable vineyard, without the three P's of sustainability, the people, planet, profit. I believe without the three P's, the, the, the sustainability will lose all the sense. And uh, the problems we are facing nowadays, it's a lot water. It's the CO2, the life on the soils and biodiversity. And uh, in terms of farming in general, Casa Ralvas is a little bit more uh, than, uh, than vineyards only. We, we to just have an idea, we have 250 hectares of vineyard, 350 hectares of olive oil, olive crops, and 750 hectares of forest. So a, a comment and came so in from somebody, I'm sorry, I wanted to tell you, this might fit in exactly what you're saying. A comment from somebody listening, has said they want to pass on a compliment to you on your cork tree planting marketing campaign. So they're, they're very they're very impressed by your commitment to sustainable action. So I thought that was the perfect time to tell you that comment came in. 
okay. I'll I'll thank you the compliment. And it's a a campaign we made uh, that we, we invite our clients to be a godfather of a tree. And for each bottle, we'll plant a tree. So it was a big campaign we, we did last year, and it was very, very good. But going back to, to, to this point. And um, so it's uh, uh, more generally farming speaking. I think, I believe nowadays, it's very important to don't increase the agriculture area, OK? So to use the, the, bed, the best we can, or even reduce the farming area. And you, because there's 7.8 billion people in the world and everybody needs to eat. And uh, I, what I see on the vineyard, for example, and I, it's, I, I used to be an organic and biodynamic gig when I began working, I, I'm not anymore. But uh, because life, uh, we have several actors in organic farming, and um, but life showed me that uh, that we can be more sustainable than organic. And uh, imagine for uh, the the quantity for ten tons of grapes produced, uh, maybe we can do it in one hectare instead of doing in three. And uh, we are going to spray three hectares instead of one hectare. We are going to put more CO2 on the atmosphere. Uh, and, uh, and that's true for the grapes, for the grain, for the, for, for the olives. And, but nowadays, and I think it's nowadays mandatory to a company, not mandatory by law, but mandatory in a, a company that wants to be here in five, 10, 20 years, to have a very efficient use of water. Nowadays, we have a lot of technology that uh, we can uh, talk about micro plots of vineyards instead of plots of vineyards. And it's imperative to us, to the producers, to the farmers, to know the exact needings of each plot, of each micro plot. Also very important, it's the, 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 the soil preservation, the increasing of organic matter on the soil and creating life on the soil because having a living soil will allow us to have uh, uh, more water retention and use more less water to irrigate the vineyards. No, it's a very important point. You, you can, in a nutshell, there's so many ways to conserve water without having, there's so many other practices that help in, in, in lowering the water footprint, you're absolutely right. Um, a last question for you all, and then there's a question from a panelist, somebody who's been listening in, but we know that well, irrigation with fresh water is adaptation's greatest ally, but it's mitigation's greatest foe. And uh, many of our most arid wine users are adapting or adopting the strategy of, I'm going to adapt until I die, meaning they're going to irrigate with no water left, or they're not allowed to legislatively, or they're going to adapt, adapt, adapt until they're constantly longer. Um, in this 
is it a viable moral stance um, to take in view of the fact that wine is considered a luxury product? Uh, we see other luxury crops such as tea and coffee and sugar and, and, and chocolate uh, diversifying, migrating, some even you know, feasting. If grape growing is no longer able to be sustainably grown in a region, if crop suitability is compromised beyond recognition, and we have to employ such intense farming techniques to grow the crops, um, do we have the moral right to, to, to choose that strategy? What future do you see for your regions? And you know, what, what, what is your opinion about how far we can go with what is essentially a luxury crop? Uh, who wants to start that one? Can I begin? Yeah, please. I was the last, or, or friends didn't. Uh, I, I think, uh, I don't know all the regions in the world, but there's a lot of uh, a different feelings for the water consumption. And I, I believe that a lot of things are, are being done already. We still have a lot of work to do, but and when you will feel the, the, the work is finished, it's maybe on the middle because there's always improvements. And uh, it's the case of those three companies which are, are here today. And in your question, your question is a bit tricky because wine in uh, Portugal and in South Africa, which is a country that, uh, that I love and I have been several times, it's not a luxury product. It's part of our culture. It's part of our inheritance. And it's uh, a very important uh, business to keep people on the countryside. I agree with that. That's how it started out. But now it's a commercial international luxury product. But when you're talking about a local community like yours, we have local farmers producing a traditional product, then yes, you are right. But, but we, we see the market, yes. that's not the case. And, and, and then it's a culture which is uh, well adapted to the Mediterranean climate. Uh, when we see, when we compare it with corn, for example, which we used to have a lot in, uh, in Alentejo before, corn takes per hectare uh, five times the water we need to grow vines. That can be five and, and, and as Tiago explained before, and that's something very important, I believe in the future, I believe in a future with water, firstly, and uh, we should have ways on the future working with uh, the vegetal material and to be able to reduce a lot the use of water. Just to, to say the importance of water, we have a project in Alentejo, Portugal, called Alqueva. And Alqueva is the biggest artificial lake in Europe. And uh, that was planned since the 60s, since we were still in a dictatorship. And like Alqueva, there's a lot, a lot of dams uh, uh, that uh, these guys, Salazar, sought for, for, for Portugal. 
And uh, well, Alkev, it was a very big investment. There's a lot of people which are against Alkev and everything, but socially, Alkev had fixed a lot of uh, families and young people on the countryside of Portugal. Uh, Alentejo, uh, together with Douro, used to be the, the, the most poor region in Portugal. And nowadays, it's a region with the jobs for everybody, where the, the wage, the, the average wage is a lot bigger than the minimum Portuguese wage. And in the last uh, data we had from the increase from the government, Beja, which is a very affected area by the Alqueva, it's the, the area where most people end the high school in Portugal. So uh, water, it's important for everything. And we need water to create richness and uh, the, of course to survive, but, but to create richness and fix people on, on the interior parts of the countries, which is a problem nowadays. I don't know in South Africa, but in Portugal, it's a big problem. Oh. Everybody goes to the cities. You almost made me change my mind on the topic. That was an excellent answer. <laughs> Franz, what, what do you want to add to this? Um, yeah, I think uh, Alex, Alex touched on a very important part of, of, of with, if, if you look at uh, sustainable income project uh, with limited water availability, uh, Vineyards is a very prosperous business. Uh, if you compare it to um, grain, for instance, or citrus or fruit, which takes four or five or seven times more water than per, per hectare. Uh, so um, I do think, uh, and in South Africa, uh, the, the vineyard, uh, the wine business, gives almost 300,000 jobs a year. It's a very important part of keeping people on the land and providing jobs to, to communities. Uh, work, work is really important. Uh, uh, and through, the, through very, very important initiatives, we, we also have a, a very positive impact on, on the quality of life for people that work on the vineyards. Uh, a lot more so than 10, 15 years ago, uh, we're talking higher than minimum wages. We've got systems in place where we, we, we know exactly the quality of life for every single worker in the vineyard or in the winery. So a lot of positive things are, is, is uh, derived from the wine industry. Um, um, I do think that uh, a combination of varieties uh, or combination of farming practices uh, is definitely something we look at. Um, so the good areas will plant vineyards. Um, the less good areas we will have pastures for beef, cattle. Um, we even looking at something like stacking or if you look, if you, the concept is where you can have in between vineyards, you can have legume seeds which you can harvest. Uh, we have sheep in, in the vineyard, we have chicken in the vineyards where we have, have eggs and so we utilize the vineyard in a different setup, not only for growing grapes. Um, so I think it's a, uh, it's a, a way of um, uh, utilizing the land much better than just a monoculture of, 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 of vineyard. Um, but uh, 
back to the real question is uh, if you have only so much water uh, i think honestly if we if we work uh, in a more uh, natural way and greener way with biodiversity in increasing soil fertility we can have a situation where we have uh, sustainable yields um, uh, where we can have uh, produce wine that is um, well priced and competitive in the world because I think the biggest thing is competitiveness even even though there's a there's a movement towards organic even in organic environment it's there's a huge amount of competition um, so uh, we really still need to be very competitive and, 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 and Alex touched on it, you know, we, we still need to, to have in general uh, a yield, a balanced yield that, that, uh, that can sustain a hectare income price, you know, um, but yeah. Good answer. All right. Tiago, what, what, what do you think about the, our right to uh, push Farming to its extremist methods. Well, to, to do. It's a, it's a, it's a good point, Linda, because it's true that well, uh, although uh, vines and and wines are uh, our life basically, uh, but we do know that uh, that uh, when it comes to uh, well, to uh, basic needs, uh, it's true well, that well, it, we well, have to. Well, well, right, when wine, it needs to be a stable crop and part we, of the community. It's Indeed, indeed, we may consider it more uh, as a commodity or a, or a luxury product. Indeed, uh, well, people can indeed live without uh, without wine. I cannot; it's my life. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, people could indeed. So this brings indeed uh, well uh, environmental and social uh, um, uh, responsibility for ourselves to uh, well to, to to be able to address these kind of challenges. We have again to to consider that vines are indeed uh, well uh, plants that do have a wonderful ability to adapt to extreme conditions and, and and even to dry farming and so far it's been the market setting the rules so market saying that you need to have this kind of yields to 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 achieve this kind of prices in the on on the shelves uh, so we have to to work a little bit again on that uh, on that equation we have to well to 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 value when when we have indeed this kind of practices, of course, that we know that that has also to translate into uh, into final quality as well, and and uh, and many times it does. Uh, but uh, but we we have to 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 have that uh, in mind. So uh, so again, um, it, we 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 have to be indeed the, the well more and more careful about the way we use water in the winery. In the vineyard, and and there's indeed uh, solutions. Uh, nature uh, gives us many challenges, uh, and and 2020 is a big uh, well, a big challenge that nature is giving us all. Uh, but at the same time, it uh, it uh, shows us uh, that there are solutions for the challenges. So again, if we play with uh, with the, the 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 diversity that exists. Uh, and again, as 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 Alexandra, as Alex and the friends were saying, also see the vineyard not only as a, as only the vin the vines itself, but as a, as an ecosystem that has to be in balance with uh, all the other elements that 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 you have there. So that will also uh, help a lot to uh, to well to 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 increase 
the, 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 the adaptation of our vineyard to, uh, to, 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 to these challenges as well. And so there are, there are indeed, and, and, and mostly uh, knowing that, that uh, well, climate change, we know that uh, we, we talk many times about global warming and it's true that average temperature is growing. Uh, but at the same time, I think that we not, what we're all experiencing is uh, more and more uh, the end of classic seasons. Uh, uh, random um, uh, climatic uh, episodes that 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 are uh, out of our hands so so i think that well things that like uh, alex and friends are doing in terms of uh, reusing the the, the water uh, uh, waste from 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 the wineries but also solutions that may allow us to uh, well to um, store uh, the water when we have it in excess, because that that happens many times. For example, 2017 we were under uh, severe drought for a whole year, and then uh, when we got into 18, in uh, just like a, um, well, a couple of weeks in the, in the beginning of 18, in the, in the spring we had all the rain that we didn't have on the on the on the year before. So so we have also to find ways to uh, to, to 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 store. The, this excess of water when when it exists, so that we can uh, use it um, when when there's not. So uh, there's 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 solutions. And again, I'm I'm not too optimistic, and I think that uh, that uh, that we have to, to to be always side by side with nature. We can never go against it. Otherwise, well, it's a, it's a lose battle for sure. Mm. Well, I like to think of um, the warming climate as the Earth you know, personality and all the erratic weather patterns as her mood. <laughs> yeah. um, we've got a question from a member of the public about gray water, which is interesting, and I'd like to read it out and have anyone who wants to answer it, answer it. And then if any of you feel that you want to add something to the conversation or that you weren't able to say something or you have a question, uh, we'll do that. But the question uh, is from Diana Ortiz, and she asks, um, hello, I'm curious about if anyone experiences challenges with water reuse from winemaking processes back on the vines as irrigation and the concentration of dissolved salts, for example, potassium chloride. Who would like to um, answer Diana's question? Linda, I think I, when I can uh, try to answer because we, we are measuring uh, 12 or 15 parameters and one of them is chlorine and one of them is potassium. So it needs to be within a, a limit before you can irrigate it, you know, and uh, these, these things are extremely regulated and, and checked. And, and uh, um, we have a, a system in South Africa called IPW, Integrated uh, Production um, System, which uh, is uploaded on a platform. People can see what you, what you spray, your wastewater from the wineries is up there in the water department can see that. But um, to answer the question, we, we, there are, there are limits to, to these concentrations of, of all these different things, uh, which you have to be within, within spec before you can eat. Um, we are fortunate we have uh, not only that uh, our wastewater plant is is uh, only 20 percent of the volume the rest is uh gray water from from the resort side which which makes it you know um but but still 
We have to we have to be within a legal limit before you can irrigate. Okay. Anyone else? Alex, yeah. I we also analyze it, and uh, I don't have the data here with me, but uh, there's a lot, of, like Trent told, a lot of parameters that uh, we should look and approve before the, the use of, of that water. Well, for example, um, I don't know uh, which uh, which systems are for for treating the water. Uh, well, uh, friends and Alex are are, are using, uh, but uh, but for example, uh, it depends a lot indeed in the in the kind of treatment we do. Uh, for example, if you use uh, like uh, processes that really allow you to. Uh, Purify the water like a uh, reverse osmosis, uh, and it's true that this it's something that uh, that some uh, uh, water waste treatment uh, facilities uh, have. This will uh, eliminate the the, 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 the the chloride potassium indeed, and and it will make it totally uh, usable. But it's true that most of the the the, the, the water treatment facilities uh, don't have necessarily. That, but uh, but uh, but if you have that possibility, it's true that well, you'll be purifying the water, so you will be reintroducing a totally pure water, which will be a, naturally the ideal solution. Okay, Diana will be happy with that. Um, does anybody um, wish to add anything or ask any questions? Or we were worried there'd be some fighting about this topic, but you've all been really polite and civil, and <laughs> so, but um, please. Maybe Linda, comments you have. Uh, I think maybe just a last uh, last comment for me. I think the, the world of wine and the world of agriculture production has become very tra transparent. So people uh, through technology knows exactly what what's what's what brands are doing, what wineries are doing. Um, there are so many platforms now available if you wanna. If you want to be part of a, a retail brand, you need to have your information, uh, social and environmental, loaded onto these platforms so people can can see this. And I think work work that all of us are doing are are done because we we want to farm sustainable, but it will also help us in the long run to to be competitive in the market because people are. Can see that we're doing or try to do the right thing uh, to be sustainable from a business point of view. Um, the question financial sustainability versus environmental sustainability, and I think Alex touched very much on it. It's it's a it's a very fine balance uh, that we that we have to to juggle, you know. Um, and uh, if you, you can be as environmentally Amazing! If you don't have the finance to sustain it, then then it's no business. Um, so we need to be really concentrating on financial viability of businesses as well. And in that context, how do you continue improving? Uh, because this process is not a once-off process; it's an ongoing improvement process. Uh, hopefully, to leave a legacy behind for for the generations after us. Beautifully said. Yeah. Um, shall we end on that note and get Marta back, or does anybody want to add anything else? That's good. Marta. It was a it was a pleasure. Oh, oh, sorry, it was a pleasure. <laughs>
Hello all again. It was indeed a pleasure. I just I just have a few messages that I'd like to summarize from everything you said. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say who I'm not going to say who said what. Uh, but I think uh, first uh, I must say Alex says something very important. We cannot talk about a sustainable sustainable vineyard without talking about the three P's. And he mentioned something very important as well, which is that in order to uh, wine is in a, in a way a social tool to be, to keep people on the countryside, and from an economic perspective and a social per perspective, that, that's indeed a very strong argument. Also, other important messages that I retained was that there are various ways of keeping water uh, on the ground. Let's say, and you mentioned several of them the carbon content of the soil, biodiversity, grape varieties. So there are a lot of ways that you, as, uh, as, as businesses, as wine growers, you can work on not only uh, retaining water, but most of all, respond to climate change. Uh, Tiago also remembered, and we know that for a fact, and Doru is an, example, an extremely good example of that, how vineyards are such a re resilient crop, and they've proven that throughout the years. Um, also, how important it is not to increase the farming area, the agricultural area worldwide, uh, especially when we're talking about climate change. And indeed, wines and wine and vines are our life, but so is water. Um, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, I wish we could have spoken more also on specific solutions. And we're counting on each and every one of you. Tiago has shared with us, uh, not so much in regards to water, but in regards to viticulture with the Port Protocol community. We're definitely going to go back to Franz and Alexandre to have you share more with our community. I think that's it for all. I hope everyone on the other side of the screen enjoy this talk and thank you so much all for being here. All right, bye-bye. See you next time. Bye. By the way, bye -bye. Sorry, just, one, you, just one last thing, because we've spoken of soils and biodiversity, our next talk is on October 28th on biodiversity in vineyards and then on grape varieties on, um, on November 28th, soils December 16th, and carbon sequestration throughout the wine production cycle on November 2nd. The dates were not, or were not right, but the fact is stay tuned for our climate talks because we'll touch on every topic that is relevant from a climate change perspective.